Let me start as we were in prayer this morning, as John um, was leading us in prayer. Uh, we, we mention occasionally, but if you're newer with us, I always want to take some time to, uh, to remind you that, you know, in this service, we, we, we do things a little different, and, and we kind of do corporate prayer and, and individual prayer, um, but we don't often have a chance to share a lot of names and needs, but, but do know that but names and needs are prayed for individually through the week. And, and each week, if you take time and if there's a need on your heart, those prayer cards that we have in the seats in front of you, you drop those in these offering plates after communion. Those are individually prayed over. Those are listed in your bulletin, and, and we keep some needs before us. Uh, we have some church family that are recovering from illness or surgeries. Joyce Leonard is one of those. Caitlin Hanlon had her tonsils out uh, this week. We're praying for her and Patty McLean. And then um, um, Bethany was telling me that Ray Cook's brother, Alan, we want to add him to our list. Um, I'm, I'm Bethany, did I get that name right? Al, in surgery now, this morning as we're here. Where, where is he? In, in Tennessee, in Memphis, Tennessee. We want to pray for him. And we know there are a lot of individual needs, and we do want you to know that we may not always get a chance to name them, but they are prayed for. So take time to, to use those prayer cards and know that they're lifted up and, and add these to your prayers. Uh, but we also get a chance to share some joys, and we want to celebrate and give um, God thanks, but also some individuals our thanks on this Veterans Day weekend, I should say. And that is our, the men and women, many of you who have served. And we want to recognize you. And I want to do it a little different this year. In the past, we've just asked our veterans to stand or to raise a hand if you're not able to stand. Uh, but I was, I was at uh, Friday night. Uh, Tony and I had the privilege with a few of you who were there uh, to be a part of the Marine Corps birthday ball that was out at IMG. Uh, Colonel Bob Warren, those of you who know Colonel Warren, uh, this is one of the highlights of, of his year. And he invites uh, some of us to come and to be a part of that. And it's fun to be around the veterans, especially from different services, different um, uh, branches of service, because you guys like to pick at each other. And it's fun to just eavesdrop on that. Uh, and it was funny at the Marine Corps birthday bash because the, one of the, the guest speakers was a, um, a brigadier general in the Army, and the other was a rear admiral in the Navy at the Marine Corps birthday bash. So they were all kind of having a little fun with each other. But it reminded me, it's, it's neat to see where some of you serve, specifically in the branches. So here's what I'm going to ask. Go through the military branches. If you served in that branch, I'm going to ask you to stand and remain standing. And we'll kind of add the others so we can see you and recognize you. So let's start on this Veterans Day with our Army, all our Army veterans. If you're an Army veteran, I'm going to ask you to stand. Absolutely. All right, you remain standing. Now invite Navy veterans. Navy, will you stand? All right, there's our Navy. All right, all right, Air Force. Air Force, I know we had a few of those. Oh, I got a whole row of them right there. All right, how about the Marines? Marines. All right, a couple Marines. And Coast Guard, our Coast Guard veterans, if you'd stand. All righty. Stand up for my friends. Take a moment. Look around. Thank these men and women when you get a chance this morning. Thank you. Thank you. You can be seated. It's fun to see. I hadn't done it that way, so it's fun to see where, where some of you served. And like I said, it's, it's fun to listen to you. Um, I've heard a lot of you. My father's a, a veteran of the Navy. 
So I've heard some of the jokes over the years. I'm not repeating any of them, but I've heard some of the jokes over the years um, and, and certainly uh, applaud and, and celebrate each of you who have, who have served. This morning, we'll turn now to, uh, to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. We're going to get to that scripture uh, in just a moment, but if you want to kind of get ahead of me, if you want to follow in your Bibles, that's where we're going to be. If not, as always, the, the, um, the scriptures will be on the screen in front of you in just a few moments. Uh, but I want to begin with this. I saw an obituary for a gentleman who passed away a couple weeks ago, October 29th to be specific, in um, Duval, Florida, Duval County, Florida, the Jacksonville area, uh, 95 years old, and his name is Robert Blakely. Now, I'm not necessarily saying that name should be familiar to you, but is it familiar? Yeah, besides those of you that were at the first service. Um, is, is that name familiar to anybody? Anybody read or see his obituary? Okay, I don't necessarily think it should be, and it's, it's a common enough name. You might be thinking, is it an actor or somebody famous? It's not. Uh, he, though somebody significant, not somebody necessarily would be famous, except that he, in 1961, as part of the Army Corps of Engineers, um, created a symbol to, um, to communicate um, an opportunity, a place. Um, well, anyway, let me, let me try. I don't know how to put it in words. Let me show. Andrew, would you show the first picture for me this morning? This is the symbol he, uh, he designed. Is it there? Did we get it in that service? Okay. Maybe it's not there. Okay. That's not his fault, that we might not have gotten it in. So, okay, let me, let me just unpack the symbol. Yellow, three upside-down triangles in a grid. Anybody know what that is? Fallout shelter. It was a symbol for the fallout shelter. So if you go and, and Google that image, you'd see the symbol for a, a fallout shelter, which was, how many of you, anybody have a fallout shelter? Okay, I didn't think anybody had. Anybody, when you were, if you were alive in the 60s, like know where a fallout shelter was you could get to if you needed to? If you have a, apparently there's one here in Paris, just a couple, a couple blocks away, which I didn't know about. But, but fallout shelters, those were, you know, in, in the, did you get it? Is it there? There it is. All right, the fallout shelter. Thanks, Andrew. Um, and then the other one, a lot of times there were the words underneath it, which would kind of point to that's he designed that. And that was, those of you that were, um, have, have memories of those years in the 60s uh, during the, the Cold War and that, uh, that kind of like fear, I guess, of, of the potential for, for nuclear war, um, knew that these kind of shelters existed. Now, those of us that grew up a generation after that, that had kind of faded away by then. That, that fear as, as, you know, coming of age really in the 80s, late 70s. Um, the first time I became that fallout shelters were a thing was in an episode of Happy Days. And I remember, I don't remember the story, but I remember them talking about a fallout shelter because I remember asking my mom, what was a fallout shelter? But it was the idea that you needed to have a safe place to retreat to in the case of the worst scenario possible, which was a, a nuclear war, which was this kind of an image of, of an apocalyptic um, catastrophe. You know, we, we kind of associate that word with, with these 
horrible things, an, an apocalypse. Apocalyptic or apocalypse really just means a revelation or uncovering. But when we hear that word, we think about these kind of doomsday scenarios. And certainly a nuclear war was a doomsday scenario. And so these places to retreat and to find safety and, and get away from the danger, that, that was what fallout shelters were designed for. Paul, in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, we're going to read in just a minute, he, he talks about this imminent um, revelation of, of what's to come, this kind of a little apocalyptic foreshadowing of, of difficult days that were coming in the anticipation of the return of, of Christ. First Thessalonians is, as scholars believe, the first letter, the oldest letter we have of Paul. It's not necessarily that order in your, your New Testament, but it's, it's the oldest letter. And, and we get this sense that we, we read very clearly in these early letters of Paul that, that he believed the return of Jesus was going to happen at any time. But he knew that the days leading up to that would be difficult. That would be dark. There would be fear and there would be some suffering in that. He knew suffering firsthand. You know, we, if you, you're familiar with the, the life of Paul, you know that he knew suffering just about every place he went. So, so he's saying to the church that there's going to be some tough times associated with this. But, but that's really not what we're going to focus on this morning because it's really how we respond to that that Paul wants to speak truth into. So before I go any further, let's read the scripture. Let's read 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, um, beginning at verse 1. And this is what we read. It says, Now, brothers and sisters, about times and dates we do not need to write to you, for you know very well that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. While people are saying, peace and safety, destruction will come on them suddenly, as labor pains on a pregnant woman, and they will not escape. But you, brothers and sisters, are not in darkness, so that this day should surprise, should, so that this day should surprise you like a thief. You are all children of the light and children of the day. We do not belong to the night or to the darkness. So then let us not be like others who are asleep, but let us be awake and sober. Sober, For those who sleep, sleep at night, and those who get drunk, get drunk at night. But since we belong to the day, let us be sober, putting on faith and love as a breastplate and hope of salvation as a helmet. For God did not appoint us to suffer wrath, but to receive salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. He died for us so that whether we are awake or asleep, we may live together with him. Therefore, encourage one another and build each other up, just as in fact you are doing. And brothers and sisters, we pray God's blessing here on the reading of his word. Let us pray. Lord, speak your, your truth through your word, through these words inspired by your Holy Spirit, and, and draw us close to you and close to one another as we grow in faith and obedience. This is our prayer in Christ Jesus. Amen. So Paul uses this image, this, these birth pains image, these, this thief in the night. He, he speaks to these days that, that this, the day of Christ, the return of Christ, will come unexpectedly. And, and that there will be difficulty and that there will be some pain and there will be some, some suffering and there will be challenges that will come with that. Again, Paul knew that explicitly, personally. But what he wants is to, to shape the church for how do we 
behave? What's our call in the midst of that? Who are we called to be in the midst of the difficult days that will often surround us? Who are we called to be in the midst of the times when, when life is hard, when, when evil seems to reign, when, when darkness threatens? Who are we called to be? And what I believe Paul wants to do is he wants to challenge a bunker mentality. He wants to challenge a mentality that will say to us that we want to shrink back and insulate and protect ourselves because that becomes human nature when threatened. How do we protect ourselves? And in fact, I started with the, the image and the discussion about those fallout shelters in the 60s and, and the threat of nuclear war. It's coming back around. The, I, I was watching stories this week and reading articles about the, the new fallout shelters that are being built, especially on, out west, because of the threat now of North Korea. And if you follow the news, that's what we see all the time now. You know, they're constantly testing um, their missile system and, and trying to develop these nuclear powers. And I'm not diminishing the threat. And, and, and so fallout shelters are starting to, to pop up again. Very, very different in some places than they've been historically. Because now it's not just the rustic, simple, um, kind of bare minimum kind of fallout shelters that I often pictured and, and thought of. Now there are fallout shelters that are built for those with money that want to live through the apocalypse in the lack of, lap of luxury. Uh, $500,000 fallout shelters with gyms and custom kitchens. And there is a, a ranch out in Texas, 600 acres, and it's, it's like a... Um, there, it's, a, it's a fallout shelter community. I kid you not. You can buy these luxurious shelters. 90% of them are underground. But also on this 600-acre ranch, they have um, uh, polo fields, and because polo speaks to the common man, um, and golf courses and community pools. I'm not sure what any of that does in the, in the midst of a nuclear fallout, but apparently they have it. So, so it's becoming... I don't want to say, when I say more common, understand that that doesn't mean extremely common, but those who create, build fallout shelters, uh, one interview I saw, a guy said, I, you know, a few years ago I would get three orders a month. He's like, now I get a thousand. And he's months and months behind, you know, before you can get your custom fallout shelter. Because the instinct that we have is in the threat of danger, in the threat of harm, in the threat of risk, how do we pull back and get safe? In the fight or flight, well, well a lot, for a lot of folks, it's the fight. How do we pull back and insulate and protect ourselves? And I understand that. I certainly understand that mentality, that, that there's natural um, instinct there. But the challenge for us is to recognize that Paul pretty much says, for those in Christ, the days will be tough. There, there, there will be difficulty. There will be hardship. There will be suffering. You know, and, and this marks, you know, he believed w would only heighten as we got closer to the end of all things, and let me stop for a moment and say this is not that sermon. Don't walk out of here thinking that I'm telling you these are the final days because I take Jesus very literally at his word in Mark 13, 32, when he says, of that day, no man nor the angels in heaven nor the Son knows only the Father. So I'm not saying that this, this is a, an, an end of all time sermon, but I'm saying that we certainly understand what Paul talks about when he talks about the birth pains, the suffering, the difficulties. We see that. We see it weekly. Last week we saw it. 
in Sutherland Springs, Texas, from 26 people who were gathered to worship and praise God lost their life because of, of another act of evil. There's no way to completely insulate ourselves, but that becomes our instinct. How do we protect ourselves? And this morning, I want you to know that as we worship, I want you to be, you know, I should have said this in prayer time, Think of those brothers and sisters this morning, Sutherland, First Baptist Church of Sutherland Springs, Texas is worshiping in a tent on a baseball field to continue to bear witness to their faith in the midst of a tragedy we cannot begin to comprehend. And it's been a string of tragedies. It's been a string of horrors. It's been a string of, of needless suffering. It's darkness that we've just seen week in and week out. And our instinct comes, how do we, how do we withdraw? How do we protect? Paul says that's, that's not the way we engage. Rather, our call is to engage the world in a different way, with a different set of values, to, to step in, even into dangerous places, to be the light and the love of Jesus. And he uses this image of breastplate and helmet. On, on a, a veteran's weekend, we can kind of think of this in, in military garb. He talks about put on the, the, the breastplate of faith and love. And he says, put on the helmet of the hope of salvation, faith, hope, and love. Again, these common themes in Paul's writing. But he uses them as an image of, of girding up with, with armor. And here's the thing you've got to understand. You don't put on armor if you're about to retreat. You put on armor to engage. And that's what he's saying to the We're not children of the darkness where you sleep and withdraw. We're, we're, not, we're not drunken. We're not passing out oblivious to what's going on around us. We're children of the light. And in the light, we engage the world. And he said, this is how we do it. We do it with, with courage. And we do it with the faith, hope, and love that has been modeled by our Savior. That's how we engage the world. We step in and we engage in places that even sometimes feel risky and threatening for us. Because that's who we're called to be. That's what the church was called to be. They knew suffering, but they never knew retreat. They knew suffering, but they... They never knew retreat. And, and we have those who model that for us in our faith. And, and I am always, I think we're drawn to, to people in their, who, who become examples for us in faith who do the things that we find difficult. I, I will confess to you one of the most difficult ministry experiences I've had over the years, one of the most uncomfortable ministry experiences I've had over the years has been inner city urban ministry experiences going into the places that, that most of us drive around when we, when we go. Uh, a few years ago, I had a chance to do this in Houston, Texas, overnight, as we went into um, parks where, where the homeless were gathered, and we gave away food, and we walked down into the city streets of Houston and had conversations around shelters and places where people were gathering. And I confess to you, it was really uncomfortable. Uh, I was never threatened. I was never in any situation where I'd say was, I was in danger. But, but I will confess to you, I was uncomfortable. And so I, I look at those who engage intentionally in those ministries, in those places that, that many of us consider to be unsafe, who, who step in faithfully to those places. And I have deep admiration for that. Names that may not be familiar to you, names like Shane Claiborne, who's, who's a leading voice in the Christian community, young, younger voice of leadership who, who not only does ministry in, in urban settings in Philadelphia, he doesn't go into, he and, and those who are in the ministry, they don't go into Philadelphia, meet needs, and then leave. They live in the urban centers. They live in what we would consider the slums 
and the, the places that are falling apart, they live there and create community to be in ministry together with, with those who that's their daily reality. Um, Tony and I years ago in, in when we were doing youth ministry, there was a young man who came through the youth group. His pastor was the father of the church, um, Sean Castleberry. Sean does urban ministry through uh, the mission year, if that's familiar to you, in Chicago, in the downtown areas of Chicago, which again, most of us probably would never venture into willingly if we didn't get lost on a wrong turn kind of a thing. These are, the, these are men and women that step into places, sometimes at great personal risk. Another name uh, is Jeff Crable. Now, I read about Jeff recently. Jeff, for 30 years, was a Presbyterian minister, and he served in churches in urban settings in uh, Wilmington, in New York City, and in Washington, D.C. And he lived by modeling faith, hope, and love. That became the, the, the witness of his life, the character of his life, what he poured into others. And he loved the people that he was in ministry to. And he served faithfully. And again, stepping into places at great risk and harm, but pouring himself into the ministry God had called him to, to engage until February of this year when Jeff Crable was diagnosed with pancreatic cancer. In the aftermath of his diagnosis, he wrote a letter to those, his supporters and his friends, and he talked about his sadness and he talked about his, his fear. But his quote was, I am floating on the buoyancy of God's love. I'm floating on the buoyancy of God's love. And what his letter gave testimony to is that that strength, that, that, that faith, hope, and love that had been the character of what he had poured into others became the strength of what was poured into him through the Holy Spirit and through others. That, that character that he modeled before others became the foundation to carry him through those days as he began his fight with cancer that would lead two months later in April of this year to his passing away. But his life became his testimony. And, and what he reminds us, what I'm reminded when I look at the testimony of the life of Jeff Crable or others, and there's so many we could name, and I'm not, not just in, in inner city ministries, in any number of ministries to which people are called and step faithfully and courageously into places to engage the world with the faith, hope, and love of Christ. What we are reminded in their stories, what Jeff reminded me is this truth. It's simple, yet it's deeply profound. You don't get to choose how you will die. We, you do not, and I do not get to choose how I will die. What I can choose is how I'm going to live. What I get to choose is how I'm going to live and the life I'm going to live until that day when we step into God's kingdom. And Paul says your life is built on that foundation of faith, hope, and love. Faith and love is the breastplate, hope as the helmet. The character of engaging the world with the love of Christ. Martin Luther King Jr. in his book, Strength to Love, says something you've probably seen the quote because it goes around the internet from time to time. But he talked about the way we engage in a world of darkness and a world of hate. And this is what he said. He says, darkness can never drive out darkness. Only light can do that. Hate can never drive out hate. Only love can do that. And that's the way we're to engage. It's not a, a magic protection that bad things won't happen but it's a trust that we're going to live faithfully and we're going to meet the darkness and the hate with the love and the light of Christ. It's engaging the world rather than buying into that mentality to kind of pull back and protect. 
Psalm's story as I was going through all these things about fallout shelters. Tony came in and saw this, probably was wondering what the heck I was doing. And I'm watching a story on this fallout shelter, this woman that built a fallout shelter in Mexico. And, uh, you know, had to kind of look like, just look like a shed. And you went into the shed and you went down into the shelter. And they showed how much food she had prepared and how many people could sleep down there. And they asked her, they said, in the case of a nuclear fallout, what happens if your neighbors try to get in? And her comment was, I will do whatever it takes to keep them out. And the implication was, whatever it takes. Now, that's the opposite of the gospel. The gospel says our call, even at, self, even at the risk of our self-preservation, even at cost, our goal is to invite others in. Always to invite them in. To never shield them, but to invite them in. Because that was the way of Christ. That's what faithful engagement looks like. Now, we're called into different places. We're called into different fields of ministry and mission. But we are all called. And as we face uncertain days, and we face threats and things that scare us, rightfully so, we certainly use the sense and the wisdom that God gave us. But do not shrink back from the call Christ has placed upon us. Because if we don't live the light of Christ, who will? If we don't share the love of God, who will? Because ultimately, our promise is not here. Our promise is what is to come. So engage. In whatever way you're called, engage. In the mission field which is before you, engage. Faith, hope, and love. Let that be the character of our lives because it is absolutely the character of our God. Amen? Let's pray. Gracious Lord, help us. Strengthen us. Empower us in whatever ways you call, in whatever places you call, in whatever fields of ministry you call to engage with your truth, with your love, with your hope, with your faith, because that's the way of Christ. And in that way, we can meet the darkness of this world with light. We can meet the hatred of this world with love. And we can be the instruments of your peace and change. We pray this in Christ's holy name. Amen and amen. And if certainly, friends, on a day such as today, we celebrate engagement ministries. We do